listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded ancestral and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Sarah Unju, and I have a packed show for you today. Oh my god. So, Phil, okay. Uh, so, I'm not gonna, you know, ramble. I'm just gonna get in it. Yep, let's get into it yep (laughs) so first of all we have a shout out to begin with um we're gonna start our show with a shout out to in action at the richmond art gallery specifically their artist talk so in action is the current exhibition going on at the richmond art gallery and it is really interesting because it incorporates visual arts with dance and the person not the curator we had an interview with the curator sean dacey make sure you check that out too to get more info but the person like the artist brendan fernandez um he is going to be having a talk slash conversation with in action dancers kiara ben charles gowen and rachel meyer 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 um on saturday april 3rd from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. It is free. Make sure you check it out. It is at richmondartgallery.org. Also, make sure you check out the actual performance and the exhibition before the artist talk because that should give you a better information and outlook on it. Um, Yeah, that's it. So now we're going to have our uh, Eva's interview with Isabel and then I'm pretty sure I have an interview with Katie Cassidy and then Silvano's review and then Olivia's review and then I also have a review. I'm not sure if these are going to be in that order but you know we'll see. So without further ado enjoy. Hey, this is Eva Drowdy, and today I have with me another musical guest called This Is Isabel. She's a 22-year-old Vancouver-based singer-songwriter known for being the lead singer of local jazz pop band The Escapes. Today we're here to talk about her solo music, which ranges from jazz, R&B, pop, and folk, and in a minute we've got an interview with Isabel, but first let's hear her newest single, This Is Finally. When I was a little girl, I was so young and dumb Break my back trying to please everyone But that's a lost cause, I know That's something you never can control Now I'm an old soul living 22 I got a lot of shit that I'm working through But that's just the way it goes When you're coming into your own So baby, please just give me room to grow I'm ready to see who I'm supposed to be
my quirks calling out Sabotage, putting in all the work It's therapeutic Even on the days where I feel less eluded I remember why I do it Cause when you got lots of friends But just to feel alone When your body's a temple But it don't feel like home Gotta change your state of mind To come out the other side So baby please just give me room to grow I'm ready to see who I'm supposed to be finally by this is isabel and now we are back with the lovely isabel herself hello how's it going so good how are you good 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 good. well i'll let you introduce yourself tell me a little bit about you and your music awesome hello so my full name is isabel ralph but my stage name is this is isabel and i am a pop soul singer songwriter based in vancouver bc but i grew up around uh surrey white rock area doing a lot of open mics, writing my own music. And then after high school, I started singing for the band The Escapes. And for the last five years, uh, we've been recording, writing our own music, playing gigs, which has been all sorts of fun. Learned so much about, you know, writing and became stronger as a singer and as a writer and made all sorts of connections in the music scene. You know, then COVID hit and then obviously nobody can play shows anymore or not as often. So, um... I kind of cocooned at home (laughs) a little bit. You know, COVID, I think, brought up a lot of stuff for a lot of people. And I think for me, the way that I kind of dealt with all of those things happening was that I just started writing. And um, a lot of the music that I wrote is what I'm hoping to be releasing under uh, my solo project. So all of this has kind of started happening. You know, I've just released Finally and I put out a Christmas song back in December and um the the responses have been amazing and it's just it's so encouraging to like you know after such a weird year to be able to put out art and of something that is very like representative English (laughs) representative of me and this last year that I've had and just to be able to put it out and share it with people has been really really awesome and I can't wait to put out more music for sure 
I can't wait for you to put out more music for sure. Yeah, I love the track finally. Um, and you say cocooned over COVID, but you've been so busy actually, like musically, <laughs> career wise. I don't know what you're talking about, but we're gonna get into that um, and all the fun <laughs> things you've done this year because it's. I, I think you've done a whole lot. Oh, thank you. But first of all, do you want to tell me a little bit about the track finally specifically? Yes, I can definitely do that. What What would you like to know? Well, <laughs> what would you like to know? It's a very open-ended <laughs> question. But yeah, I mean, it's it's about coming to terms with and like growing into yourself, right? Accepting mm-hmm. not, you know, accepting who you are, not as faults, but more as authenticity. And I think that's super relatable to everyone because everyone has to kind of go through that process and it's never one that's ever finished right like you kind of Mm -hmm. just do it forever but what was something I guess this year that helped you learn that or make you want to write this song yeah so actually okay so I put this on my post um when I first put out the song when I first dropped it on my socials but I dropped it on March 13th of this year and I did that very strategically because a year ago, like March 13th, 2020 was Friday. It was Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Oh no, but it was like the last normal Friday that anybody really had. And then BC went into lockdown and then obviously That's everyone right. knows what happened, what's happened since then. But I was on the bus from campus from UBC heading home to my house in Vancouver at the time. And I got this melody idea on the bus and I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. I want to jam this out. And so I go home <laughs> and I grab my guitar and I just start writing and working on this idea. And um, and, I, and I shared the memos the week before the song was released just so people could see like, this is the progression that it came from. This is kind of me. I mumble lyrics a lot. So whenever I'm writing, it's like a, I'm mumbling random shit. <laughs> so no one, I don't even know what I'm saying half the time. But I don't know. It, it was like, almost prophetic in a sense because I had written that song not knowing the kind of growth and like hard truths that I would have to face for myself in the midst of like quarantine um yeah I mean that was a long backstory but it was it's crazy how it all kind of came together for sure yeah I thought that it was I also noticed that it was released on the 13th which was definitely the day I associate with everything like changing right um mm-hmm. that's super yeah. interesting so you said that you're just sitting on it for a year and I saw your solo live stream concert last month in February it was so great um, oh thank you so much yeah it was so lovely but it included several new songs of yours yes. which I assume you've also been sitting on for the past year so are oh, you yeah. planning on releasing any of that soon the short answer is yes okay. um I am currently working on a release plan because I want to give myself myself ample time to promote everything as much as possible and I want to put tracks on Bandcamp before I put them on streaming because I really am passionate about this music and I would love for more people to hear it so cool yeah lovely well I can't wait for that um also from that live stream performance we were joking afterwards just a disclaimer by the way Isabel and I do know each other we met in at school at UBC a couple years ago so I've been part of her <laughs> journey here a little bit um but I was watching your performance and we were joking afterwards about one of the songs had this like Johnny Cash walk down do you remember that <laughs> and I was yes. like, oh. <laughs> Isabel goes country 
But I love that. But it's a very divergent genre from what I've seen from you, both solo and in the escapes, which is kind of more jazz, mm. pop, and neo soul, right? So, yeah. who are some musical influences that have shaped this this kind of combined sound? The hardest question. I know. <laughs> no, but it's so funny that you bring up the Johnny Cash thing because not a lot of people know this, but like right before high school, I had like this massive 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 country phase Ooh. like but it was it was interesting that it happened around that time that it did because that was also when I got really into uh learning how to write songs so I was like 11 or 12 at the time and I was just really learning how to play guitar and write my own music and the music that I just happened to start listening to a lot of the time was country and granted it was a lot of like newer country so like it was a lot of Taylor Swift it was a lot of Carrie Underwood and mm-hmm. Keith Urban and like Lady A, La- Lady Antebellum, yeah. and just like a lot of like the newer country that was happening at the time. But I just fell in love with the writing and like the storytelling that happens because regardless of whether or not people like country or listen to it at all, like the writing in that genre is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think even though I wouldn't classify myself as a country artist per se, I think a lot of my desire to like tell stories and to tell them in a really creative hooky way comes from being inspired by country but obviously like I remember right before quarantine hit I was listening to a lot of Jojo I was listening to a lot of her Anderson Pack. I was really getting into Muna at the time so like really strong female artists with really distinct sounds and there's definitely that R&B influence that I'm wanting to explore more as well because I'm you know being in a band with a bunch of jazz heads <laughs> for the last few years um, has made me realize that like, oh, I actually don't really know a lot about jazz. So I should probably figure out how these progressions work and how these chords work and how the theory kind of works. And I'm not super perfect in that yet. So I'm still a bit of a jazz baby. Really? Sense, but um, yeah, it's been really fun to see how my writing changes um, with the more that I learn about Uh, different chords and how they work together and I'm hoping to learn more as time goes on that just felt like a big rant no (laughs) but um yeah it it, it honestly changes all the time the kind of music I listen to as it should I mean I did not know that that you weren't super into jazz I would have thought that was kind of something you were like raised with because well if people don't know you're the vocalist for um yeah escapes which is I you call yourself just a, a jazz pop band right I mean it's I've only ever yeah. heard jazz from the escapes. Okay. Definitely. And cool. it was one of those things where like I I would listen to music that was, I guess, inspired by like jazz and blues. Like, you know, John there's John Mayer and then, you know, Amy Amy Winehouse, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like the band has covered Amy Winehouse before and she's just an absolute queen, an absolute icon. Absolutely. Um, Back to Black is one of my favorite albums. Oh my ever. god, me too. But yeah, like the rest of the members in my band, like they what do you call it they did like jazz band in high school and so coming from like a, a, a country <laughs> a country <laughs> pop background and suddenly learning that about this whole new side to writing music was like whoa like it's so complex and intimidating yet fascinating at the same time and I love how it sounds I want to learn more so yeah I love that you're taking such, like an academic stance from it like oh there's these different ways of like structurally doing these different genres um mm-hmm. and that's so true and there's things you can take from every genre and I like that you dip your toes in all of them because there's different things you can learn from all of them totally yeah so you mentioned we we're talking well we're talking about the escapes is the band doing a lot um together this year 
Uh, we have just been, we've been a little bit dormant in the last year, you know, COVID has, you know, pushed things back a little bit, but, you know, we still are looking into shows for the summer, you know, hopefully the hopefully. weather's going to be nicer, shows can start to open up again. And um, our album is in the process of being mixed, which is really exciting. So hopefully we will have music out for the public very soon. Um, but yeah, we've just all been kind of like doing all sorts of other projects. Like obviously I've been doing my solo stuff. Keely, who is our bassist, she has her own business. And then Max and Brett are in Ludic and Jack is playing for all sorts of other um, local musicians as well. So we're all just kind of doing our own things, but it'll be cool to see uh, how things end up lining up for the summer with yeah. the kinds of shows that we have and how we can get back into the swing of things with the bang, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I cannot wait. I can't believe I've never seen an escape show before. So that's going to have to change shameful. this year. <laughs> it <laughs> is you shameful. You have time. There's always the summer. Yeah. <laughs> so we're wrapping up. I've only got a couple more questions for you, unfortunately. But aside okay. from the escapes, that's your group project. What goals do you have for yourself in this coming year? Like musical goals? Musical or just goals, like... personal goals. What are you hoping for out of this year? Ooh, ooh, that's a that, wow! I was not expecting hard hit right oh, at the end. Okay, <laughs> that is that is a really good question. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I would love to be able to end my undergrad strong and to be able to graduate and to feel not only just relieved that I'm I'm done, but also to feel really proud that like the last five years have taught me so much about myself and. I've met so many amazing people that I would not have met otherwise. So that's definitely something that I want to experience and mm -hmm. aim for. Um, obviously, I want to play more shows, uh, record more music. I'm hoping to put out some kind of an EP before this year is out. Yeah. So sure. exciting. Well, I can't wait, cannot wait to see what comes out of this next year for you. Um, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. But before we go, why don't you give us some plugs? Tell us where we can listen to your music and find you online. Take it away. Absolutely. Okay. So right now, my debut single finally is on Bandcamp, but it will be on streaming services very, very soon. And I am also on uh, Spotify and Apple Music and SoundCloud. And my Christmas song, Gingerbread, is also on those platforms as well. But obviously, future music and future releases will be up there shortly, for sure. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. This was great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eva. Nice to see you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Red Cat Records is an amazing artist-owned and operated record store. Shop from their diverse online music collection and get free shipping within Vancouver and the Lower Mainland with the purchase of two or more LPs. If you would like to further support them through the evolving COVID-19 crisis, you can do so by buying a gift card to use at a later date. Visit www.redcat.ca for more information. Looking to get a reliable and affordable used bike? Need a repair or service to your current ride? Come to the Bike Kitchen, UBC's full-service community bike shop, located in room 36 of the UBC Life Building. Our hours are Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you buy a bike from us, 
bring it back when you're done using it and we'll give you half of your money back as long as you took care of it. If it needs repairs, we'll split the cost with you. Yep, you heard us right. We'll give you crisp dollar bills for half the original price of any used bike that you buy from us. Minus the cost of repairs. For more information about our buyback policy and to stay up to date on any COVID-19 inspired changes, find us online at thebikekitchen.com. Hi everyone, today I'm with Katie Cassidy, who is a dancer, teacher, and choreographer based here in Vancouver. She currently performs with Kokora Dance, Amber Funk Barton, The Response, and Two Big Steps Collective. And we will be talking about the Made in BC's recentering slash margins, which is the second annual creative residency showing. And it will be presented online from April 2nd until the 7th. Um, hi, Katie. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's start off with what this uh, creative residency is for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, would you like to explain? Sure. Yeah. So this is the second annual creative re residency um, that Made in BC offers. And it's for BIPOC artists, um, emerging artists in Vancouver, and it provides 100 hours of studio time, um, a mentor, and then a writer who's also involved in the project in creating um, a written piece for <laughs> the project. <laughs> Nice. And um, as one of the artists in this uh, residency, um, you're presenting your own choreography, right? Yes. Okay. And so mentioning artists, you and two other artists were selective from a, a competitive process by a selection committee. Um, how was this process? Could you tell us a little bit about it? Um, do you mean the application process? Yeah, the or... application and selection. Yeah, so I had uh, been planning on creating a duet for a show that I'm going to be participating in in May. Mm -hmm. So I was already planning a creation process um, with two dancers. So I had applied to the Canada Council for a grant, which would pay for my dancers and for any other tech involved in the May show, which worked very well to then apply for the residency to apply for the space and the mentorship. So it worked out really well with the project. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I just wasn't really sure. I mean, as with any application, you apply not knowing what's gonna happen. So I was yeah. very pleasantly surprised to be, yeah, picked to participate. That's really, that's really cool. Did you um, need to present um, your, <sighs> How do I say? It? Did you have a choreography already uh, to present for the selection process, or um, I presented? I think it was I presented a piece. It was all online, so it was mm -hmm. not in person because it was last May, I believe, mm -hmm. that we applied. So I sent some work that I had previously made and kind of described how it was applicable to this project. And then I did have some rehearsal footage like very preliminary choreographic footage that I also sent and kind of talked about how it would be incorporated into the project. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And so as you mentioned, uh, in the beginning, each artist gets a um, 
an artist to mentor them with creative feedback. Um, who was your mentor? Did you get to choose your mentor? Yes, I got to choose my mentor. Uh, my mentor is Julianne Chapel, and she's a Vancouver-based choreographer. And um, I guess she also presents like a experimental performance series, and she runs a company called Future Leisure. Mm-hmm. She's very cool. How yeah. many hours did you get with this mentor overall? Um, I guess things got a bit um, sticky because of the restrictions mm. that went in place in November. So in October, we did two weeks of rehearsal and Julie came in and I think she came in twice and kind of offered some feedback. Mm. And then we had a meeting about like other career goals and things beyond the residency mm. and then come the spring I've just been sending her footage of our rehearsals because she hasn't been we haven't opened up our rehearsals to have other people come in and then we've had a couple of FaceTime meetings mm-hmm. so yeah I don't know like five hours okay. maybe? yeah more really <laughs> it's um I've heard so many artists talk about how now their rehearsals or all of this process is online. And I feel like it would be easier for like theater or rehearsing plays. So how was it for doing something like this for dance? Because it's so visual. How does it compare to your in-person rehearsals where the mentor can be with you? Right. So we actually did rehearse in person. I have two dancers, Sarah Wong and Sophie Mueller-Langer, who Mm -hmm. we were able to rehearse in October for two weeks. And then we did two weeks in February and a week in March. Um, And we just made sure we were wearing our masks. We had the door open and kind of made the arrangement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was sad to not have the mentor and the writer come in Mm -hmm. um, because it was really nice in October to have people you know, just like live watch it and be a part of the process. But it's also kind of nice because then it was like we were really in an incubator with just Mm -hmm. the three of us. And it was nice to just kind of like have that intimacy uninterrupted. So yeah, yeah, I think it was also kind of like a nice different way of working. That's nice. That's a good way to look at it. Um, Also, Uh, Just like you mentioned before, again, so besides the mentor, each artist also gets to invite a BIPOC emerging writer to accompany and document their process. Um, Who did you invite for your documentation? Um, Christian Vistin is um, writing a parallel creative writing piece for the duet that I'm making. Mm-hmm. And how, why did you decide to invite Christian? Is there a specific reasoning behind it? Did you know them beforehand? Um, I've known Christian, yeah, almost. We've like kind of known each other for 10 years, I guess. Oh, okay. I think probably that long, yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess just when I read the description, Christian's uh, primarily a visual artist, mm-hmm. um, but incorporates writing into that practice among other things and so when i read it i kind of reached out just to see if he'd be interested and he was so yeah it's been really nice i've kind of yeah known christian for a long time but we've never actually worked together Mm -hmm. so it's been really nice to kind of have someone also i think because we've decided we decided early on that it would be a parallel creation process as opposed to 
I mean, I'm not sure what the other arrangement mm-hmm. the writers and choreographers have, but yeah. could you explain further yeah. what the parallel creation um, process is? Yeah, so I'm basically Christian and I decided like he has the freedom to kind of explore what he wants to do and then based around the duet and the ideas of the duet. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's been talking about making kind of a poetry poem okay prose (laughs) creation yeah so mostly we've just been discussing um just like the dynamics of the duet between the two people and that seems to be uh interest for him but it's also just really nice to have someone look in and kind of who's been there the whole time in the process who's Mm -hmm. not necessarily there to give me feedback but is just there and we can just talk about things so it's been super nice yeah Yeah, and christian's like lovely so That's amazing. That's great. Um, And the writings will be available for everyone to read afterwards. So if anyone's listening to this right now, um, make sure you you check out Christian's writing after you watch Katie's um, performance. Okay, so also this residency is quite different from your previous experience with dance, right? Because I've read in your bio that you have had your work presented in like the Vancouver Art Gallery's Dance Week and the Dance Center and the Vines Art Festival and many more. So I wanted to ask how does that experience compare to this one? Yeah, I've never done such a long residency before. Um, Yeah, and it's kind of been, it's been really nice because it's based in Vancouver. So it's been like, we've had a lot of time. Like I think we had 80 hours of studio time with the dancers that we use and then I use some time on my own. So it's been really luxurious mm-hmm. to like have so much time to like talk and dance and talk and then leave it for a couple of months and come back, which is I think really helpful because I work really slowly. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I've just never had such a long creation process and it's been really nice to see how things organically emerged over the period of time. Mm-hmm. And could you give us a little um, kind of, I guess, a sneak peek into what your duet is all about? Maybe just talk about your duet a little bit. Yeah, of course. Um, So it's a duet, a contemporary dance duet between two women, and it focuses on the relationship between the two women. And it focuses on the strange and sometimes illogical ways that we connect and support each other in a relationship. Um, Yeah, it's a portrait of a relationship that looks at kind of the complexities that comes with any intimate relationship and the power dynamics between the two women. Okay, yeah, that sounds amazing. I, I, I'm sure it's going to be great. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I love anything dance, so I, I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. So I have a question that is not really about the residency, but um, it's a question I kind of had after reading your bio. I saw that you have a BA in art history from UBC. Um <laughs> alumni which is always great to talk to you <laughs> um so i'm wondering did you always know you would eventually go into dance while you were studying art history how did that all happen how did you become a dancer choreographer um yeah <laughs> yeah um so i did 
uh, my dance training before I came to UBC. So I did two years at SFU in the dance program. Mm -hmm. And then I went to San Francisco and I did a conservatory program, dance program. Mm -hmm. And then I moved back to Vancouver and I was just starting out my freelance career in Vancouver. And um, I had two years of credits from SFU. So I transferred them to UBC and I did my degree in art history while I was doing my freelancing with dance. Mm, okay. Um, because it was something, yeah, I always wanted to do when I was at SFU initially. I loved the art history program. So, yeah. So then it was kind of like a parallel. It's all about the parallels. Yeah, it was like a parallel <laughs> dance undergraduate. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, so uh, there is going to be a live online conversation following the presentation on April 2nd. Um, will you be there for the conversation? Yes, I will be there. Wonderful. Yes. So if anyone has any questions that I did not ask, um, then they can... <laughs> I guess get more answers from you. Well, it's been it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to me about this residency. Um sounds great. Hopefully everyone will watch uh your <laughs> presentation. Um it sounds really interesting. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Welcome back everyone. I hope you enjoyed those two interviews. And now we have more reviews for you. First of them is going to be mine. I will be telling you about the United Players of Vancouver's uh, Silent Sky. So this uh, is... Okay, what is this about? This play tells the story of Henrietta Leavitt. 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 I don't know how to pronounce it, <laughs> who was an astronomer in the 1900s. She worked for the Harvard Observatory as a human computer, um, and she discovered how to measure the distance between stars. And the reason that, you know, it, she worked as a human computer is because she was like her title was you know a computer one who computes which is pretty cool and she wasn't allowed to use the telescope which is a shame but you know 1900s women weren't allowed to do a lot of things like vote either um so something i want to say everything was amazing actors did a great job lighting wonderful like oh my god at the the when she discovers what she discovers um the lighting was just very beautiful there were stars everywhere and oh god it was amazing um the story itself like the writing it's so good the playwright good job wonderful and i just want to say united players have been telling stories and they have been telling important stories that need to be told more and i really appreciate them for this like for example this tells the story of henrietta levitt who a, an astronomer that most people probably don't know but you know for example hubble used her findings to discover what he discovered and it's very important and previously they told the story of mary anning 
um, who was a a paleontologist and it's you probably didn't know about her before this play and I didn't personally and I hadn't heard about Henya Delevit before this play and I'm really glad that I found out about her and I got to find out about her through this play um yeah it was it was amazing. It was really good. It was very touching, very inspiring. I got chills when she, you know, made the discovery that she did. It's so good. And I, okay, this quote from towards the end of the play when she said, um, she was like, talking about how she's wondering things and how she's able to she was able to make this discovery and then she said because wonder will always get us there and oh that's such a good quote she is right wonder will always get us there and honestly I don't know what else to say because this was a really good play the actors did such a good job all of them was amazing the lighting as I said was really pretty the set there wasn't much to the set it was like a chair and a table and then maybe a couch um so the set didn't really have that much in it um again the playwright beautiful play wrote a beautiful beautiful play and I should probably give credit where it's due as in tell you who is did what if if my phone loads <laughs> give me a second okay so the playwright is Lauren Gunderson and the play was directed by Laura McLean and it is on until April 18th so you have a lot of time to watch it uh, they have matinees all Sundays, every Sunday. So you can, if you're not free at like 8 p.m., which is when the evening shows are, you can catch the matinee. It is online. Um, you can go to unitedplayers.com and find the tickets there. Um, Henrietta Leavitt is played by Jenna Hill. Margaret Leavitt is played by Rebecca DeBoer. Wilhelminga Fleming is played by Rona McCallum Lichtenwald. <laughs> I don't know if I pronounce that right. Annie Cannon is played by Anna Bui and Peter Shaw is played by Kartikadam. And yeah, okay, lighting, Mar Mark Carter. Um, oh, there was some original music in it. Yes, Jenny Gearing. Wonderful job. Everything was so pretty. Yeah, honestly, just give it a watch. I would recommend it. It was a really good story, really inspiring story put on in an amazing way. And I'm really happy I got to witness it. And you should too. Check it out. It's on until April 18th. So now let's move on to our next reviews. We have... First of all, we're going to go into a quick ad and PSA break. Afterwards, we're going to be back with Silvana and Olivia's reviews. I'm not going to pop back in during their reviews. So I will see you at the end of the show. Enjoy. People, let me tell you about my best. 
Become a CITR member and make some new friends. Members get discounts in Kitsilano and around UBC at The Book Warehouse, Stormcrow Ale House, The Australian Boot Company, Fresh's Best Salsa and Company, Banyan Books and Sound, Tapestry Music Limited, Rufus Guitar Shop, Dentry's Irish Girl, The UBC Bookstore, On the French Hair Design, and The Bike Kitchen. What would we do without our friends? Accessibility, disability, mental health, ADHD and ADD, and many, many more topics we explore and cover. But where? On On CITR's All Access Pass. A unique and collectively run show on equity, inclusion, and creating awareness for people of all abilities in BC and around the world. Catch us every other Wednesday afternoon from 3 to 4. If you want more info or want to get involved, please find us on Facebook or send us an email at accessibilitycollective at citr.ca. Hello, everyone. It's Silvana once again with a review for you. <laughs> this week, I will be reviewing a series. Not really a whole series, but more like an episode. <laughs> um, and... It is really, really interesting because it is called Shine True. And it is a co-production from Out TV, Fuse Media, and Vice Studios. Um, for those of you who um, don't know, Out TV is the world's first and Canada's only national LGBTQ plus television network and streaming services. And it has a very large um library. It ha- it is the world's leading provider of queer content actually um as a little fun fact right there um and this series shine true was premiered in march 22nd so not that long ago at as i said out tv so shine true it's more of like a reality tv kind of like queer eye format um i'm sure many many of you or most of you are familiar with queer eye um I think it's on Netflix, so it's much more um, mainstream. And it's these five um, people who help others with makeovers and um, just like upping up their lifestyle choices, their um, aesthetics, um, maybe their house, etc. Um, so Shine True is a little bit like this, but it's more focused on the series tracking the journeys of trans and non-binary young adults in the US and Canada, leading up to a big life event. Um, So in the the episode that I saw, the star of the show, (laughs) you could say, is Azul, and they are exploring their identity not only as a non-binary person, but also um, as part of the Mexican diaspora in Chicago in the US. So the series is hosted by Canadian transgender musician, artist, activist, and life coach Lucas Silveira, and gender nonconforming influencer, activist, and model Richie Shazam. And this is more of like an LGBTQ plus um, series for the LGBTQ plus, from them for them, um, which is a great thing that LTV um, is doing and giving their platform to. And the episode, as I was 
I'm telling you before is around Azul. So Azul goes meet with um, Lucas and Richie first and they kind of talk about um, their past experiences, um, both when it comes to their gender identity, but also about their ethnic identity and their culture. Um, Azul's big event that's coming up is their own art show. So the art that Azul makes is exploring, of course, themes around their gender identity and journey um, as a non-binary person and also navigating the Mexican culture and the American culture. So it's very interesting to learn from this very first instance how Azul's uh, father, who unfortunately had already passed, um, was kind of this masculine figure that Azul really looked up to in their ch- in their childhood, um, not aligning really with the more feminine um, sides of the gender spectrum, and having really the support from their father was a big thing in Azul's life. However, with their mom, it's a much more tense relationship. There is a moment in which Lucas and Azul uh, visit their home, and Azul's mom uh, makes flautas de papa, which is um, a Mexican dish, um, Azul's favorite, actually. However, we see that Lucrecia, so Azul's mom, she really struggles with Azul's pronouns and also addressing Azul as Azul. So Azul wasn't really um, their name at birth, which wasn't changed for this color, which I forgot to mention this before, but Azul means blue (laughs) in Spanish. Azul also had the very first instance of the show, because as we recall, um, there's going to be an aesthetic uh, transformation, but also through this transformation, the goal of the show and the episode is to show that it is instrumental to experiment with um, sometimes how we look um, and how we present ourselves. And its importance in us feeling more comfortable in our bodies and especially for um, trans and non-binary youth to feel much more at home with who they are and um, how they present to the world. So back to the scene with um, Azul's mother, you can really tell that she struggles with using their pronouns. Um, I must also say that Lucrecia speaks in Spanish in certain instances and um, I'm also a Spanish speaker, so it was very interesting to notice how, for instance, she used the term hija, which means daughter. Um, recall Spanish is a very much gendered language. Um, things, objects that we wouldn't necessarily assign a gender to in English, sometimes they do have in Spanish, um, which is interesting. And also, even the word them or they, which are the pronouns through which Azul identifies with, they literally translate in Spanish to ellos, but ellos in itself is like, still has masculine connotations. So when you say él, which is him, and then ella, which is her, but you have a plural, it's ellos, which is still a masculine term. So it's very interesting, um, the navigation of these languages as well, not only cultures, not only how Azul was explaining um, to their mother how even though they didn't feel like 
a girl, they also didn't want it to be a boy. And explaining that to um to their mom was also a very big thing. And they emphasized the fact of patience and really giving Lucrecia some time, but also the importance of her being willing to um give Azul that acknowledgement of their gender and their presentation. Sorry, that was a big a big parenthesis, but so anyway the transformation wasn't only um doing this more like personal conversations but also um exploring fashion so azul mentions being so connected to their mexican heritage how they want to channel this punk mariachi which i think is so cool <laughs> um i think we all know the image of the traditional mariachis with the big sombrero and the the suit and kind of the lace and the shirts etc. So Azul really wanted to be connected with that but still add a little bit of punk and be a bit more daring in that sense but still feeling very comfortable in their wear and both Lucas and also Richie help Azul with exploring fashion in the day-to-day and also changing their hairstyle. Um, Actually they find this really nice um, tone of blue to paint their hair (laughs) which is fantastic and in the end it's a very short episode it's only like um, around less than 25 minutes but in the end we see Azul very happily uh, dressed and with a new style and really explaining to everybody in the art show everything about their art and their identity and their journey through everything that they've done and it was a very endearing episode i must say that it didn't let me watch the second one at ltv because i still don't have a subscription so um that was very unfortunate i really wanted to watch the next one um there are only two episodes released so far However, the first episode is available to everyone. I'm sorry, it definitely spoiled it <laughs> for everyone. But please consider um, watching uh, Shine True. It was honestly very eye-opening. And it's a very important thing to talk about. Um, how the power of fashion, the power and how we present ourselves can also give so much confidence and so much empowerment to especially non-binary and trans youth which need that um encouragement sometimes we know we don't really experience the world the same way when we have this all these different intersecting identities so it's definitely a very very fun show to watch as well especially if you're into these like realities and like makeover shows this is definitely something to pay attention to so you're very much welcome and i hope you check it out remember out tv and i hope you can um tune in next week for more content bye bye hello everyone it's olivia here again i hope everybody's having a really good day so far i know i am i'm so excited that spring has finally arrived and that there's cherry blossoms blooming, it's probably my favorite part of living in Vancouver. Today, I'm gonna come on and talk about the Imagine Van Gogh exhibition 
currently being housed at the Vancouver Convention Center downtown. I believe it's running until August, and it just opened up in the last week or two. And a couple nights ago, I went with my partner. We went pretty late at night. It was 11 p.m., I believe. And following with COVID-19 guidelines, we are allowed in, everyone is allowed in, in one hour intervals. I totally jumped the gun on it and I wanted to go right away, which is why we went early into the exhibition, but also super late at night. But I would actually recommend going at night. There was something really beautiful about leaving the space in the nighttime, like not having any light coming out when you come back. It just really made for such like a, a lasting experience. It kind of reminded me of um, going to the movie theater and coming out and it's all dark out. It allows you to kind of experience the experience, if that makes sense. So you go in, you scan your tickets, and then they lead you through to the entrance. It's all COVID safe. Um, you keep your mask on at all times, and then you walk into the space and the exhibition itself is just a whole bunch of screens that are showcasing different Van Gogh paintings and they kind of, um, they move a little bit, not necessarily the things or the subject within the art that is moving, but you know, you'll see like pieces move up and down, the floor changes, there isn't anything on the ceiling because that's where the projectors are. And they essentially just project all this different art and you just stand there and experience it. You can walk around, it's kind of a rectangular space with one pillar in the middle with some screens. I thought it was going to be a bit more of a walkthrough exhibit, but it ended up just being kind of like a smaller not well it wasn't small but it felt smaller than I'd expected room it was still quite large and the screens went really high and it was really beautiful if you got up close the images did start to blur a bit but the desired effect would definitely just be to stand at enough of a distance that you can kind of fully immerse yourself within his work they play classical music as you walk through I couldn't tell if it was on a loop, but I definitely did hear a couple songs more than once. And it was really beautiful. Having gone to the Van Gogh exhibit myself in Amsterdam a couple years ago, it was really interesting to see all these pieces of art that I've actually experienced firsthand on such a large scale, because the museum itself was super packed and there wasn't a lot of time to see everything. So this experience, although it was limited to that one hour, you just got to be still and the gallery kind of moved and warped around you. Just before you enter, officially, they do have these little posters, text posters that you move through kind of in a, a ladder motion, I suppose, moving from the back to the front. And they allow you to learn a little bit more about the exhibit itself, as well as information about the artist's life. I am an art history major at the university and I knew a little bit about Van Gogh already, but it kind of just gives you a little bit of a good initial placement to understand what exactly it is you're looking at and the context of the images, which I definitely think someone who didn't know anything about him or just knew very little would be really, really, really helpful and insightful in providing some context. 
You are allowed to leave the exhibit whenever you choose. However, if you want to check out the little gift shop they have set up before you leave, you'll want to head out a little bit early because there's a pretty strict protocol when it comes to the one hour time slot. There's a whole lot of really beautiful stuff in that store. I didn't end up picking anything up, but I do believe that they also had some Imagine Van Gogh specific merch, which I think is really, really cool. And then you just head out, back out through the doors of the convention center and you're off. Everyone working at the venue was super accommodating and friendly. Everything was super well spaced. And overall, I really enjoyed myself. I think the mix of the artwork as well as the music just created a very emotional response for me, presumably, and hopefully it created that same emotional response for everyone else too. I felt like I was in awe the entire time. Obviously with the pandemic going on, there are traffic jams that can occur, um, especially at the beginning when you would read the different information signs. I was nervously checking my clock every couple minutes on my phone because I didn't want to lose any time going in, especially because I wasn't aware that it was a smaller exhibition. But that kind of thing is kind of inevitable right now with the way things are. And I would much rather be going out and seeing something and knowing that it's totally safe rather than taking the risk to be able to speed up a little bit. At no fault to the venue, I think my biggest issue, really my only issue that came up, the exhibition existed at an interesting crossroads between interactive and objective. There was definitely a lot of people taking selfies, which is pretty common, no matter where you are at an art gallery. But the difficulty was that a lot of people were taking like full-on photo shoots, which is totally fine, of course, but the space was quite small and it definitely made it kind of hard to interact with certain parts of the exhibition. I didn't want to walk in front of anyone when they were taking pictures, but also the space between the subject and the camera person made it kind of difficult to do that, given that there wasn't a lot of walking space and that we were expected to stay, you know, six feet apart. I think a good addition to something like this would be creating separation between looking and experiencing. Maybe having a space just for taking pictures, a smaller screen before or after you enter where people can have photo shoots without impeding on any of the other guests. It was funny actually when we were signing in, they told us that we were allowed to make TikToks as long as we didn't have the music too loud. And I think that really shows how modern the gallery experience can be for some people, I guess, you know, very involved. So that's something to keep in mind if you aren't interested in too many phones being out. That's something to keep in mind if you aren't a big fan of photography, taking pictures while you're there, or having your experience imbued at all by this. Imagine Van Gogh, the immersive exhibition, opened on March 19th and will be running until August 29th. It is open 9am until midnight with one hour intervals between which visitors come in. For specific details about the Van Gogh Immersive Exhibition in Vancouver, you can see both their website as well as their Facebook page for more detailed information. Again, my name is Olivia. It's been so nice chatting with you. I hope you enjoyed this review and that you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Hey fam, welcome back. So I hope you enjoyed those reviews and we're at the end of our show. 
we're at the end of our <laughs> extremely packed show. But before we go, I want to let you know that next week we're not having our show because last week of classes are coming up. Finals are coming up. April, if you don't know, at UBC is the finals month and it's pretty hectic. So what we decided to do instead is have two shows instead of the usual four per month. So in April, we're having our shows on the 14th and the 28th. Yeah, so... Until the 14th, uh, have a lovely day. If you miss us, you can always check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and CITR.ca. Have a lovely day. Goodbye.